This message is brought to you by this excellent church. We excel at shaping people's values and reconciling men to God. You're about to hear peace and preach. Be blessed. The way you maximize from that domain is that you apply yourself to get reward. You apply yourself to get reward. You have to do stuff to get stuff. And we talked about how Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Galatians that the pagan system of the world that the Galatians were under, the law of Moses that the Jews were under, were all things and processes, were all systems that were under the elements of this world. And in that element of this world, the way you function, the way you do well, is by giving stuff to get stuff. That is because that domain has been put within our control. So to maximize, you have to apply yourself before you can get reward. And so we said not only the law of Moses and the paradigms of paganism, but also all the things of the earth, business, mundane things, and all that and all that, right? And then we said there are some things that are from heaven. These are the things that are in the domain of God that only God can do. To receive of these things, you have to receive. You cannot do stuff to get stuff. Jesus or God will do stuff and then you receive the stuff. Isn't it? Church all together. Now permit me to, to, to say from there that obviously from what we are beginning to see, the way John the Baptist spoke, the way Jesus spoke, the way Jesus is telling them to pray, obviously the kingdom of God is something that is from above. It doesn't apply to the things of the mundane. And this is the reason why he said it's very important that you understand these principles of the kingdom. Because many times the principles of this kingdom is spoken of as if it, it pertains to the realm of the mundane. That's where people begin to systematize and begin to say the principles of the kingdom, how to get the best from the kingdom, how to do something from the kingdom, how to enjoy this from the kingdom. That systematization betrays a heart that believes that the kingdom of God belongs in the realm of the mundane. Things that are in our control, that if we also maximize from it, we have to do stuff. Do you understand that? Did you hear what I just said now? Praise God. And that's what I was telling you guys on Wednesday. That there's a tendency for, the, for us to subconsciously think those principles overlap. There's a tendency for you to begin to see them as things that overlap. As when people talk, talk of the principles of the kingdom, we're going to talk about things that you do to get. They're talking about the principle of the kingdom, they're talking about things that you do to get stuff. They're already betraying a, a, a fundamental problem. And that problem is that they are beginning to see the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven as spoken of by Jesus and John the Baptist and the apostles and all the prophets as something that is part of the elements of this world where we do stuff to get stuff. Church out together. And I said the problem is for you. See, there are some things that God is good like that. It's actually not a bad thing. There are some things that you do stuff to get stuff. You work hard, you advance in your career and your business. You apply yourself in your relationship, you are romantic, you get the best from your partner. What else are the things of this earth? Career, academics, you apply yourself in school, you do much. The law of Moses is part of the elements of this world. Galatians chapter 4, like we read. You do good, you get good. Paganism, the same thing, you sacrifice to the gods, the gods do you well. Elements of this world. But things that are from heaven, things that are from above, only God can do them. So your effort is irrelevant. Do you understand that? Only God can do those things. So your efforts are irrelevant. 
what you do is that God demonstrates his disposition to you by, you know, giving you those things because he's the only one that can do it. And then you respond by receiving what he has done. The kingdom of God is from above. That's why it says, um, your kingdom what? Come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That means that this kingdom we're talking about that shows up when Jesus shows up, that John the Baptist was speaking ahead of as coming, is a kingdom that you receive. You cannot do stuff to get it. It's a kingdom that we respond to it. In, our response to it is purely reactive, not proactive. Then huh. reactive and proactive, right? Sometimes I worry that I will not be able to preach the gospel to every kind of person. Because the way the thing comes to my brain is always funny. <laughs> Praise God. The kingdom of God is, it, our response to the kingdom of God is purely reactive, not proactive. You don't instigate. You don't initiate when it comes to the kingdom of God. It is God that initiates and then you react. God is the one that is proactive. God is the one that sends his son whose very presence is carrying the kingdom. And then you do what? Receive. So, all together. You see some things. You see some things. And so we say this kingdom of God is the will of God. And so we're going to go on to say some other things now. So that we can put more flesh on what is will of God. This kingdom of God that comes with Jesus. What does it look like? We're going to get some more specifics about it as we go on. Praise God. That reminds me. I wanted to say something. Guys, I've noticed a trend on Fridays. Okay, so since COVID started, a lot of churches have a lot of more streaming. Um, people that join via streaming. And that has, has that can have a negative effect on church in that there are some exhortations that are best in person because if you exhort the exhortation to the general public, it will look it will look funny. But there's nothing we can do. We cannot let the change of the systems to affect the way we do. If we just look at your the thing I want to say now, I'll be easy for me to say, but let me just say it. I've noticed something. Friday prayer meetings, people are not showing up. Friday prayer meetings, there's a consistent um, trend of some folks not showing up for prayer meeting at all. And we have only one prayer meeting at the church, which is on Fridays. And people are not showing up. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus says, men ought always to pray and not to faint. Now this is something very interesting about that parable, is that Jesus equates the opposite of praying to fainting. Now, praying is an active thing. Fainting is a state of the heart, so to speak. So how can an action be opposite of the state of the heart? Do you understand that? Let me say it again. Jesus says you you should pray and not to faint. Jesus made it sound like the opposite of prayer is fainting. But prayer is an active thing. You pray actively. Fainting is a state of the heart. That means your mind gives up on something. So how can an active thing, the opposite of an active thing, be a state of heart? And that tells you something, I was saying something about analogies and how that you should not expand analogies beyond what they are intended to see. Do you know what the real lesson of Luke chapter 18 is? The state of that woman's heart. That lesson, that's, and, and that parable was not a parable to tell us how God needs us to pray to him very much before he answers us. God is not like that on just judge. God is our father. 
So you cannot look at that parable and your lesson will be God needs you to pray to him very much before he will answer you. Jesus already tells us how to liken God. He already tells us that to liken God like our father. So that means that the lesson in that parable, is the spotlight is on the state of that woman's heart. Did you hear what I just said now? Did you hear what I said? The, that parable, the lesson is on the state of that woman's heart. And what was the state of that woman's heart? I've been telling you people since for the last few months. The state of that woman's heart was that that woman had a desire. And she did not let it go until she saw it. And so that's why the opposite of that prayer was to faint. That means that your heart is either in a state where you have desires and you are looking for those desires till they are fulfilled. Or your heart is in a state where you have given up on those desires. Do you understand that? Did you get that? And that's the reason why many of you don't pray. Many of, that's the reason why many of you don't pray. That's why people think that prayer meeting is something that we should be begging you for. The problem is that a lot of people either don't see is either the, is number one is either the fact that they don't have a picture of how their life should be. They don't have things ahead of them. They don't have desires. That means that the things that they desire in their lives are all mundane things that are in the realm of the elements of this world that you can only use your energy to get, your power to get. So they don't have any they don't have anything loftier, things from above that they are looking forward to. Do you understand that? I guess get what I'm saying to you. When you are someone that your biggest vision for your life is naturalistic things, when your biggest vision for yourself is naturalistic things, things that God has put within the elements of this world, things that by your energy you can get, hmm? is such people that don't have desires. And such people don't pray. Then there are all the other group of people that even when they have lofty things in their mind, they think that they can use their power to get it. And so that's why Apostle Peter tells us that humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that in due time your words lift you. Casting all your cares upon him because what? He cares for you. Prayer is a demonstration of humility. Prayer is a demonstration of the fact that you know that the things that you want, some of it is from above. You cannot get it by yourself. And it's only the person that can give it to you that you can demonstrate that desire towards that can help you to get it. That's how many of you don't pray. And that is also the reason why you are people that don't pray, their lives will never exceed the elements of this world. You know what I just said now? All the things they will see in their lives are things that unbelievers can get. That's why if you're a materialistic person, you won't pray. Because if your loftiest vision for yourself is something that any unbeliever can walk and get, you will not pray because you will see that an unbeliever did not. Of course, there are many things like that. But what will happen is that in your life, you will never see some things. Never. You will never see things from above. Your life will be limited to the natural things that material people can get. And that's how I know. When I see people that don't pray, I can already tell the kind of advice they will call me for. That's experience as a pastor. When the person is calling you saying, Pastor, I have an issue, I can already tell the kind of advice they will want to ask for. I can tell. 
the kind of advice they want, most likely want to ask for is always for naturalistic things. Because that's what their mind is set on. I'm not going to beg you to be joining prayer meeting and pray. I'm going to tell you your future. If you don't pray, if you continue the culture of a Christian as not praying, you will end life one day and you will look back and you will discover that you did not do anything of any significance. You will discover that you lived your life like every other person. And that also means that when the problem, the kind of problems that kill natural people come, it will kill you too. You know I just said now? If you live on their standard, you will die on their standard. So that means that the kind of problems that usually kills them and cripple them, when it comes, it will cripple such a, not you, you understand what I'm saying? It will cripple such a person too. That is the reason why you are the one complaining about existential crisis. My life is dark, I cannot see the future. You will not see the future. When you don't pray, can you give yourself a sense of identity? Sense of identity is from above, is not from the is not from the elements of this world. Did you create yourself? Did you create yourself? You literally woke up and found yourself in a body. The person that created you knows what he wants for your life. You don't want to pray and you are complaining that you don't have a sense of direction. Where will you get the sense of direction from? Where do you want to get it from? Church, I'm together. I complain you have existential crisis. I don't have a sense of purpose. My life is dark and that's what he's giving us. The, no the giving the, I want you. Why won't you? Church, I was together. Praise God. And now, people that are streaming have seen the thing we're vexing about in our church. You see what I was saying about streaming at church now? But everything, all join, all continue. Praise God. Hallelujah. Do yourself a favor and pray. Do yourself a favor and pray. Do not think, do not limit your entire life to the things of the natural. Don't limit your entire life to the things of the natural. There's much more to you. There are much loftier things that God wants to do in your life that your hand can never get you. Those things will also only come by you demonstrating your desire towards God. Don't limit yourself. If all you are thinking of is, let me just get one job, let me pay my school fees, no problem. You actually don't need to pray for that. Work hard, learn your skill, learn your trade. You'll be okay. At least to a level. But if you want to do something meaningful with your life, if you want to do something that other people will look at you and say, this one is not your ability that got it, you must pray. One hour in a whole week as a church is not too much for anybody, except you don't want to pray. One hour in a whole week is not too much. I was telling my wife earlier this morning, and we go, they complain, we will form Pentecostals, now we they do pass, and we, we don't spend as much time in the presence of God as much as Orthodox people do. We are the ones that will do two hours, three hours on Sunday until next Wednesday, then until Sunday again. Meanwhile, those people do one hour, but it's every day, morning and night. Every day, morning and night. Sometimes three times a day, morning, mass, afternoon, mass, night, mass. And people, they show. And these people, they don't evangelize, but their faith is strong. That's the difference. That's the difference. You do two hours, you preach for two hours on your head, you'll not remember 50%. Till Wednesday, we'll do midweek service, you'll not remember 20%. And you come back on Sunday, your mind, you are doing church. 
That's the original people that did not break out. When I ask them how they do church, they will tell you how the Christians were doing in those days. Daily gathering. That tradition, daily gathering, they continued it. That's the way it's meant to be. Now say, come, let's pray together for one hour. No problem. We'll not be looking for you on the Zoom. Has Emmanuel joined? How many people have joined? Only three. Okay. I met you people on Friday. And I've, I've said my own. After this general exhortation, do you know what's the meaning now? I'll be calling you one by one. Ogadi, what happened to you last Friday? <laughs> you will see. This one is general exhortation. Just warn yourselves. After now, now one by one, I'm going to call you now. Praise God. So, let's continue. So, we're saying that the kingdom of God is something that shows up when Jesus shows up. And it's the will of God from the Father that God wants to do on the earth. Hallelujah. And today, we're going to put more flesh on these, these principles of the kingdom so that we can have a more accurate view of what this kingdom looks like. Hallelujah. So, the next thing I want to tell you guys about this kingdom is that this will of God, this state of affairs, apparently, from what the way Jesus speaks about it and the way the apostles speak about it, is both a future life that is coming and the life that we have now. Praise God. So this kingdom of God is both a future life that is coming and a life that we have now. Praise God. Let's, let's see what the Lord says about it. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Um, verse 21. Look at what Jesus says. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Praise God. You guys, do you see that again? So he's saying, you know, don't forget where we're coming from. Matthew chapter 6. See, you have to keep a whole lot of information in your head so that you can have a full picture. Do you understand? You have to try and keep everything. Everything I'm saying, keep it in your mind. So I've told you before that the kingdom of God is the will of God that is in heaven that he wants to do on the earth, isn't it? There's something in heaven that God wants to do on the earth. That when Jesus showed up, that thing began to show up with Jesus. Do you understand? Jesus is now telling us that this thing that God wants to do, it's both a future world, a future life, and a life that you can have now. How is that possible? That's the paradox, isn't it? But you see. So here it tells us that if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to do the will of his father. So there's something you have to do now that will help you to enter that kingdom. Do you see that? He now says, many will say to me, so will, future things, not present. Do you understand? Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Hallelujah. So you see, it is a future Life. It is a future place that we're going to enter if you do the will of God now. Right? If you do the will of God. Calm down on what the will of God is. not teaching on what that will of God is, even though it will come up later. Just follow. The point I'm trying to emphasize on now is that the kingdom of heaven is a place that people will enter in the future if they do the will of God now. Are we together? Then he now says, Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Verse 14. It's an interesting story. Let me just read the whole story. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had, who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. Praise God. So, you see, this is just a side note for you to see. That when Jesus was doing healings and stuff, these people that had diseases had different causes of diseases. Right? 
So you see that this person was mute. That means the person was dumb, could not speak. But what caused it was a demon. He drove out a demon from the person. But in other places, he will heal and say, you know, let your mouth be open or do whatever and all that. So that's to let you know that most of the time, diseases are natural as a result of distortion of biology and our physiology. But sometimes it can be what? Demonic. Hallelujah. Verse 15. But some of them said, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Other tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. So Jesus is doing miracles and casting out demons and demons are running out of people. And then this guy begins to say, ah, he's using, he's using jazz. He's using jazz to, to take out jazz. Praise God. That he's using Beelzebub to chase out demons. And Jesus now said, <laughs> and you know we see that a lot of in our culture where we believe that the solution to one level of jazz is to do a higher level of jazz. Do you understand? So that's what we're thinking also. Because there are some kind of jazz now. For example, if someone goes to a Bible lab that's just learning work and does um, uh, something at you, it does something at you, maybe that is now making you not people not to like you, you now lose your job and everything. What you need to do is go to a Baba who has, who has finished residency that is now a consultant. <laughs> Baba will now take you to deeper levels that if you now throw that jazz at that one that he did for you that was low level, it will neutralize that one on the higher level. Praise God. <laughs> Verse 17. Let's go on. Now says, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. That's to let you know that that thing is not true. When a person does jazz at you and you go to Baba to do a higher jazz to do that one, they are not fighting. You know what they are doing? They are replacing themselves. You know what I just said now? No, you do not hear. Jesus said a kingdom cannot be divided against itself. So if it was jazz that he did to somebody, that you now went to look for higher jazz to conquer the small one, eh? you think that the higher one has conquered the small one, but he has not conquered it. He has just what? Replaced it. They cannot fight their family members. So the jazz that we were doing for you before that was small, you now went to do bigger jazz to conquer it. What you've done is that you want to go and look for a bigger jazz that will now be troubling your life. That's why the war. That's why, thank God for your bathrooms, they always let us know, as much as they glorify Juju, they always tell you that, see, all these things have Olein. And then the problem that they usually enter is always worse than the initial one. <laughs> Praise God. Because a kingdom cannot be divided against itself. Verse 18. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then, so then they will be your judges. Praise God. That's to let you know that in those days, casting out demons was like fashionable. Exorcism and all that. I think I was having a discussion with some people some time ago about the context of Jesus' time. Verse 20, let's continue. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, praise God, when they are going to preach a message called the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Do you see that? But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has what? Come upon you. So he said earlier, that if you do his will, you will enter his kingdom. Jesus is now saying now that there is, there is a life now whereby you can be living in the kingdom of God now. Do you see that? He said the kingdom has come upon you. It, let's not go on so, because there's no time. Church, you guys see that? He says if you do some things, you will enter the kingdom then. But he now says there's a way the kingdom can come now. Let's look at another one again. Luke 19.
Luke chapter 19, verse 11. You know, it, um, this one is a parable of the ten, the ten talents. But look at the way verse 11 starts. He says, while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. So this was towards the end of you know, ministry, towards the end of ministry, and you know, he had been talking about the kingdom for two or three years, and people thought that, okay, as time is going, Jesus is going to do something where there's one kingdom that will come, and then all of us will enter it in the future. And then Jesus now answers that particular question, where people are thinking that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, you know, is, is coming now, and they're about to enter it. Then Jesus now tells them that, see, he now tells them the parable of the ten talents, everybody knows the parable of the ten talents, right? And then he tells them the parable of the ten talents and how that um, those that now maximize the talents and all that are those that he now allowed to enter his kingdom and those that do not maximize it will not be able to enter the kingdom. So they thought that the kingdom of God was about to appear because he was going to Jerusalem and they thought Jesus was about to do something where the kingdom of God will appear and then all of them will now enter. And Jesus now says, no, you are seeing it wrong. There is an eschaton. There is a kingdom of God that is coming. And how you do now, if you do the will of God now, you'll be able to enter it. Church, do you see that? But then Jesus now says again in Luke chapter 17. So you see this recurring theme where Jesus talks about the kingdom of God as something that is coming. Then he talks about the kingdom of God as something that is what? Here. That's why this idea that some people in their Christocentric zeal said that the gospels don't really apply to us now. May God give us understanding, you know. People don't know how wrong that statement is. Say the gospels don't really apply to us. We talk to people that we're not saved. The epistle is what applies to us. Please. And I know none of you will ever say that kind of thing. Abi, say that kind of thing. Just don't come to our church. <laughs> Praise God. Luke chapter 17, verse 20. Once being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God will come, Jesus replied. So you see that again. They now say, When is that kingdom coming? Jesus now says, The coming of the kingdom is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. So, it's a life that is coming and a life that you can enjoy now. And this life is a life that is in heaven that God wants us to enjoy on the earth. Are you seeing those parallels? And it's a life that he who was in heaven, the heaven that nobody has ever approached or seen before, he, the only one who has ever been in heaven is the one that came down on earth and he came with him. So we, are, we can see that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, whatever, whichever one you want to use, they mean the same thing. The kingdom of God is something that is being done in heaven. It's something that exists in heaven. And so, in the eschaton, when we enter that heaven, in a sense, we are going to enter it. But it is also something that we can enjoy now. Praise God. Do you understand, do you understand that? We have not gone into the details of what that something is. Because that something can be many things. Whatever it is, it is the will of God. It is in heaven. It can be done on earth. Jesus is telling us now that it is something that is in heaven. <coughs> We will enter it in the future, but we can also enjoy it now. Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Look at verse 28. Ah, okay, this one is, is just is to blend more credence to it. <laughs> it's to add, let me not let this take time. So the story of how one guy came 
some Pharisees came to Jesus, the teacher of the law, and they were asking Jesus, what is the best, best commandment? And just now says that the best commandment, the greatest commandment is for you to love yourself, love the Lord with all your power and all your might, and love your neighbors as yourself, right? And then they now said, and then the guy now says, um, the teacher now said that Jesus is right to say that, that that's the greatest commandment, that Jesus is right to say that. And then um, Jesus now says that when the guy agreed, so the guy agreed with Jesus that that's the greatest commandment. You know, Jesus now said to him in verse 34, Jesus now said in verse 34 that when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom. <laughs> Do you see that? It means you are not far from the kingdom. That means that the kingdom is something close to him that the guy is about to enter by reason of agreeing that the greatest commandment is to love God with all your power and all your might and love your neighbor as yourself. You know, that is not exactly the gospel, but it's close to it. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? This one is um, advanced theology stuff, but do you get what I just said? Jesus has said, you are close. You are about to enter. Why, why did I bring that example? For you to realize that Jesus perceived or Jesus taught the kingdom of God as a kingdom that will enter in the eschaton, but also by which we can live now. That means that the things in that kingdom, you can actually live them now. Ha! That's why during the worship, you guys stayed one thing in me, and I don't want to take it all. That is the reason why. Do you guys know that? Revelations. Revelations 21. Oh, coming. Revelations. Let's go to Isaiah 60 first. I want to show you something. Isaiah chapter 60. And, you know, Isaiah 60 talks about, oh, good stuff. <laughs> so, Isaiah 60 talks about, arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Darkness covered the earth, and deep darkness over the people, but the Lord rises upon you, and the glory appears upon you. And everybody everybody that is raised in a Pentecostal background knows Isaiah chapter 60, have you? It's a, it's a chapter of good promises, talking about the blessing that is coming, the glory that is coming, how kings from all the corners of the earth are going to bring good stuff, praise God, how the kingdom of God is going to be exalted above all the hills and all kinds of people are going to flow towards it, how God's going to bring your sons and daughters to nurse at your side, how the sun will no more be your light by day and your moon by night, how there will be no more violence and wasting in your walls, but rather righteousness. Righteousness is going to come and everything. But check out Revelation 21. Revelation 21. Look at verse 22. It says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are his temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light and the lamp is a lamp. Do you see that? That's Isaiah 60 prophecy ahead. Right? It says, the nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut. You know, that's the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 60. Right? For there will be no night there. The glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it. Praise God. You know, so we know, we rightly prophesied many times. That Isaiah 60 actually talks about the life. Isaiah prophesying ahead, the Israelites saw it. 
when Isaiah prophesied, and they thought that it meant that their kingdom would become a great empire like the Roman Empire that would conquer everybody. Hmm? But they did not know what was going on. Isaiah was actually speaking about a life, a life to come, a life that is coming. He lied that he was speaking about a system that was coming ahead. And believers see Isaiah chapter 60, Christians today see Isaiah chapter 60, and they see themselves in it. Because it talks about how the light of God is risen upon you, and there's darkness all over the earth. But the light of God has risen upon you, and this light has risen upon you, will cause the nations to flow into you. And because of that, your sons and daughters will be lost at your side, and no men, so many, many awesome things are going to come. John now showed up on the scene and says, that Isaiah chapter 60 is not even only talking about believers now. He's talking about the kingdom that is to come. <laughs> Isaiah also um, jumped out to and said, you see Isaiah 60, it's true, it concerns you, but it's actually also talking about a kingdom to come. Hallelujah. What is that telling you? That actually, the essence of heaven, the will of God in heaven, we're going to talk about what is inside, but this is just to make you realize stuff. The essence of heaven, the things in heaven, whatever heaven means, whatever it means, we will talk about what it means. But whatever heaven means, the believer has access to it now. Whatever is in heaven, a believer has access to it now. That is the reason why. So that's why we say, and King Hagin was correct to say this, that the epistles are actually a Shall I say dumbed-down version? A baby version of the revelation of the Gospels and the, of, and the prophets. You see, the, the Gospels and the prophets is, is on distilled crude oil. You can see that, I'm going to show you some things now in the epistles that you guys have been quoting since. And you will now see that everything is what the apostles and the Gospels have said. You see, the Gospels and the, and the prophets, they are... On distilled crude oil, Apostle called Peter, John, and the folks. You know what they did? They came and did fractional distillation and brought out all the constituents for us to see clearly. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? I just, you see, I've just used the Gospels now and the prophets to show you that the kingdom of God is something that is coming and is something that we have now. Look at the way Apostle Paul said it. Ephesians chapter 1, <laughs> verse 13. The worded guys among you already know where I'm going to. And you also were included in Christ. When you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are what? God's possession to the praise of his glory. For those who are still in Christianity 101, you don't understand what you're talking about here. Let me explain. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. When you see um, purchase of redemption, like it says in Romans chapter 8, it's actually talking about the world to come. Literally, the heaven to come. Second Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says, For we know that if the earthly tent that we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God. Hallelujah. An eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened. Because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Hallelujah. Now, the one who is fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit 
as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So that heavenly body, that heavenly house, you have it now called the Holy Spirit living inside of you. That is the New Testament's epistolis of what Jesus was saying. That the kingdom of God is coming, but it is also what? In your midst. So, when Apostle Paul tells me Philippians 3 verse 20, can someone read it for me? Philippians 3 verse 20. Apostle Paul said in one verse what Jesus taught with three years, talking about the kingdom of God. In one verse, he said what Jesus taught about in three years. Read verse 20 for me. Our citizenship is in heaven. Continue. I'm stressing you. This is CAC. Come on, read. Don't keep my ginger. And it is from there that we eagerly wait for a savior. The Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read in NIV. Didn't read it well. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus. Do you see that? He says our citizenship is in heaven. And we are waiting for him. Your citizenship in heaven. And you are waiting for Jesus in heaven. But you are not. <laughs> so, what Jesus taught in the kingdom for three years in all kinds of ways that people were not getting. Now that we have the Holy Spirit, we can see clearly what he was saying. The apostles have helped us to do fractional distillation. They have made it easy for us to understand. So, this kingdom of God, this will of God that is in heaven, that he wants to be done on earth as it is in heaven, this kingdom of God that is the will of God, this kingdom of God that Jesus showed up and the thing showed up with him, this kingdom of God, whatever it is, it is something that the believers have now and they will still enter in heaven. Hallelujah. It is Isaiah 60 and Revelation 21. Glory to Jesus. It is, we have a guarantee, we have a deposit, and that is the reason why it grows. That's why there are some pains and there are some sufferings that will never be solved in this world. That the solution to them is to enter the fullness of that kingdom. Be that as it may, there are a lot of things that we can live in now. He has given us a foretaste. He has given us a citizenship. We can enjoy some things now. So that's why an American citizen can be living in Meduguri. The truth is that he's not enjoying all the 24 hours electricity and HBO Max and all the infrastructure that if he was living inside Washington, would afford him. But even in that Meduguri, you say, now poor, we poor, we not chop Chris, what is you said? We not keep us in. He's a citizen, he, he cannot enjoy all the HBO Max and all the American benefits. But guess what? Even in that Meduguri, if something happens and uh, they want to carry them, Nanivi still will show up. Hallelujah. He might not enjoy all the infrastructure, but there are some things that they will still enjoy, even if they're Meduguri. So that's the reason why you are a citizen of heaven. We do not enjoy all the benefits of heaven, but we have a fortress. We have a guarantee now. It's called the Holy Spirit. Inside of us, we have that kingdom that is coming and we have it right now as it is. So we cannot enjoy all the things of heaven yet, but we can enjoy some things now. That's what I was telling people about prayer. Let me not start that one again. <laughs> Praise God. Let me not start. I'll just not finish. Hallelujah. Isn't that some good stuff? Isn't that some good stuff to know? That means that, see, there are some things about heaven that you can enjoy now. You cannot enjoy everything. Not everybody likes you and say, ah, everything in heaven, you can, mm, mm, mm. that's not what I'm saying. But see, there are some things. There are some things 
That's why when Jesus casted out demons, he says when you see demons being cast out, you know that the kingdom of God has come. Why? The fullness of that thing that is that in heaven there are no demons there. Did you hear that? The fullness of it is that in heaven there are no demons. The foretaste is that in this world, at least in your body, there cannot be demons. <laughs> Do you see that? And that means that because in that kingdom there are no demons, you too can enjoy it small and chase it out of people. That's why Jesus said, when you see demons being cast out, you know that the kingdom of heaven has what? Arrived in your midst. A foretaste of the kingdom of heaven is that just like there's no demons, there are no demons in heaven, you can actually cast out demons now. Because it is not permitted in heaven, you can suffer them not to be permitted here. Do you understand that? Revelation 21, if you read the earlier part, chapter 4, chapter 5, it says, in that time there will never be sickness, there will be no sorrow, there will be no anguish. You can read it, you can read it in your, in your leisure time. Talking about heaven, it says in that kingdom there will be no sickness, there will be no sorrow, there will be no pain. Just like apostles told us, see that there are some groanings that we have now, but we can actually have a foretaste. A foretaste is that that's why there are some times that we can heal sicknesses. We can heal diseases. And that's why you will see people, believers, that even when they are sick and they are not healed, they can maintain a joy in their hearts as if they are in heaven despite their sickness. That thing is not normal. That is a foretaste of heaven. Church, are we together? So it's a future life and it is our present life. Glory to God. It's a future life and it's our present Those that know their Bible very well already can already tell what we're talking about when we're saying the kingdom of God. You can already tell what the kingdom of God is already. And so, another thing about this kingdom of God is that it is proclaimed as a message to people. The way it comes to people is that it's proclaimed. Mark chapter 10, verse 5 to 8. Jesus tells them, the disciples, they were not yet apostles then, he tells them that he sent them out with the following instructions. Do not go from verse 5. That's chapter, that's, um, chapter 10, verse 5 to 8. Let me not lose you. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of Samaritans. Go rather to the Lordship of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. So the kingdom is proclaimed as a message to people. When Jesus was on the earth, he insisted that it was be to the Jews first, to the lost ship of Israel. And this is probably one of the scriptural, back, um, scriptural backings that the people from James were using. Sure you know. Most likely. These are the kind of scriptures that I've been using. You know? But this is the point. The kingdom of God is proclaimed as a message. Luke, um, no, sorry, Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verse 12 says... But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and what? Women. Talking about Philip's ministry in Samaria. The Bible says that Philip preached the gospel, the good news of the what? Kingdom of heaven. He preached the good news of the kingdom of heaven. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 19. I'm using New Testament stuff so people can know that it was not a Jesus thing alone. Acts chapter 19, verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. And lastly, Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. 
Look at verse 23. This was where Apostle Paul was imprisoned. Verse 23 said, They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God. From the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about what? Jesus. So you see that. So Apostle Paul was showing them from the law and the prophets about the kingdom of God, persuading them about what? Jesus. The presence of Jesus is the presence of the kingdom of God. And it is seen in the law and the prophets. Look at verse 31 of the same chapter. The last verse. He says, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without what? Hindrance. The presence of Jesus is the presence of the kingdom of God. So if we are talking about principles of the kingdom, we are talking about principles of Jesus. Ah, if we try to make it esoteric, step key one, principles of the kingdom, step one, we no follow. At the end of the day, this kingdom of God we're talking about is what? Jesus. It is the reign of Jesus. It is wherever Jesus is. That's why it is called a kingdom. Wherever Jesus is, he's in control. He's the king of things. All things were made by him and for him. There was nothing that was made that was made without him. So whenever Jesus shows up in a place, Jesus is, is ruling there. And so that is where the kingdom of God is. And so because he's in heaven, he's the only one that was in heaven. And nobody has ever been to heaven except he that came down from heaven. That's why the kingdom of God is what? In heaven. And that's why when he's on earth, before he started entering people and he came in the flesh, as incarnate. He's now showing up. John the Baptist said, the kingdom of God is a person. Now that the believers have believed him and Jesus is inside of you, the kingdom of God is where? Inside you. Oh God. People don't sound like uh, believers. People are looking at me like uh, serious people. Church, are we together? Are we together? So the presence of Jesus is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is where Jesus is in charge. That is inside you. That is wherever Jesus is exalted. This is the kingdom of God. You are the kingdom of God. The presence of Jesus is the presence of the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. And so that's why Jesus crowned everything up. And that's why, the, that's why that kingdom is proclaimed as a message. You preach it. Jesus told them before he rose, go and preach the kingdom of God to the lost tribes. And after he rose, the apostles preached that kingdom. Philip preached the kingdom. Paul preached the kingdom. Peter preached the kingdom. What we're preaching is that let Jesus come and reign in your life. Let Jesus come and reign in your life. Because when Jesus reigns in your life, there are some things that are in heaven that you can enjoy now. And when everything ends, you can enjoy the fullness of it with him there. Church, I was together. All of us are going to see Jesus one day, sure you know. All of you guys always say, if you can go back in time, um, that's one did that thing was. He said, "Choose one. Ability to go back in time or to collect ten million dollars now." You see, so you know, and then Christian people are now saying, "Ah, it's to go back in time. I want to go and see Jesus. I want to see Paul." What a waste of money! You don't used to read Bible at all. Somebody that you will see, see. You say you want to go back in time to go and see him for what? Give me ten million dollars. I will see Jesus on that day. <laughs> Give me my. I'm, why are you guys laughing? Is that not the wise thing for a believer to do? 
What are you going back to see Jesus for? He has written everything in the world. And he has told you that one day you will see him in that place. You now want to go back to see him for what? You now see him twice and lose $10 million. When there's ministry to be done here, <laughs> no, we will see Jesus on that day. Give me my money. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so that's why Jesus ends it like this. John chapter, th- chapter 3. Beautiful, beautiful. John chapter 3. Oh, what a beautiful way that Jesus ends it. So because the kingdom of God is the reign of Jesus, it is preached to people. And guess what? It is entered by what? Believing. The kingdom of God is the reign of Jesus. It is preached to people. It is proclaimed to people. And it is received by what? Believing. John chapter 3 from verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee. Let's end on this note. I'll continue next Sunday. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform these signs you are doing if God is not with him. Then Jesus replied, Verily, verily, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. <laughs> you see that? He said, for you to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. In other words, being born again is what makes you enter the kingdom of God, isn't it? Verse 4, he now says, ah, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asks. Surely they cannot enter the, the, a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Oh, glory. Verse 5, he now says, Jesus answered, verily, verily, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying that you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it is coming from or where it is going through. It's going to. So it is with everyone that is born of the Spirit. Ah. So we're born again means we should be born of the Spirit and of water. Okay. Verse 9. Then how can this thing be? How can someone be born of the Spirit? Verse 10. He said, you are Israel's teacher and you do not understand these things. Verily I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify of what can be seen. But still, you do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven <laughs> except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Glory to God. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one that is from heaven, what? the Son of Man. So don't mind all these people that say they saw vision and went to heaven and they saw anybody. They only walk out. Not lying. I got to heaven, I saw, I saw, I went to heaven, I saw Bimbo Duke. I knew I shame me. <laughs> you, your own heaven is not even sure. Okay, let's continue. Verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, and as the son of man must, so must the son of man be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have what? Eternal life. So if you believe in him, you have eternal life. Do you see that? See, so he has equated many things. Kingdom of God, eternal life. Born again. Verse 16. For God so loved the world. That he gave his son and only son. That whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have what? Eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He did not. He came to give us a way out. He didn't come to condemn anybody. He came to give a way out. But to save the world through him, verse 18. So that whoever believes in him is not what? Condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So it's not a matter of exclusivity. It's not a matter of Christians are trying to create a sect so that their own market share of the society can be large. 
It's not about people just trying to make their church bigger. That's not the point. The point is that there are some things of the earth that are elemental things. And there are some things that are from above. And the things that are from above can only be given by God. And one of them is justification by faith. It's called the kingdom of God. It's called the eternal life. It's the ability to fellowship with God, to be, you know, to have a relationship with God, to fellowship with God, and to be sanctified. That thing can only be given by God because by your own power, you cannot make yourself pure. That's why no matter how hard you try, you are still going to mess up. But there's someone that can legally call you justified. There's someone that can pay the debt for your sins such that you can now enjoy the reign of God inside of you. What he did is that he legally calls you righteous. And by legally calling you righteous, you can now have fellowship with him. And because you now have fellowship with him, you can now enjoy certain privileges. That person is called the kingdom, is, is called Jesus. It is his presence that is the kingdom of God. And, you, and he's the one that does the work. You will enjoy it by just what? Responding to him. So that's why when he says that if you don't believe, you are condemned. It is not Jesus trying to create a sect. He's telling you, I am God in the flesh. I have made a way where you can live eternally. All you have to do is to do what? Respond to what I am doing for you. So men are condemning themselves, not Jesus. Do you what I just said now? There is a debt you owe. You cannot pay it. There is a BC that you own. You cannot pay that BC. The wages of sin is death. You have done some bad things. You will do some bad things. You have done some bad things. You will do some bad things. The accumulated BC of all the things that you have done, you cannot pay it, but somebody can pay it. He has paid it. Collect the check. And so that's why condemnation is actually not, it's just a word that makes people to wake up. But really and truly, what condemnation is, is you paying your busy by yourself. You can collect the check that Jesus has paid on your behalf. He has been condemned for you. He went to hell and suffered. Or you can go by yourself. Choose one. <laughs> that's what we are saying. Choose one. You can pay it by yourself or you can let him pay it for you. Church out together. Hallelujah. Praise God. So, that's why Jesus now says that, see, if you believe on me, that's why this gospel, this kingdom of God is preached and men do what? Receive it. It is preached and men do what? Receive it. And what do they receive? They receive the reign of Jesus in a man. They receive Jesus alive inside a man. So the principles of the kingdom is the principles of Jesus alive inside of you. Church, are we together? The principles of the kingdom is the principles of Jesus alive inside of you. Praise God. Isn't that some good stuff? Can we bow our head and let's pray? Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at this excellent church. God bless you.